THN is brought to you by Legend Comics and Coffee in Omaha, Nebraska, and by listeners like you. Go to TwoHeadedNerd.com and click Donate, or visit Patreon.com backslash TwoHeadedNerd to become a supporter. Hacha! Our story this week picks up where we left off last week. Broadcasting from the Ziggurat at Omaha, deep below the metro area, it is our pleasure to welcome you to episode 539 of the Two-Headed Nerd Comic Book Podcast. Nerds, my name is Matt Bob. And I'm the Internet's Joe Patrick. In this week's episode, we're reviewing a bunch of the last couple Wednesdays' new comics as part of a giant-sized, ludicrous speed round. A bunch of the last couple. You got that? A After bunch that. of the last couple. <laughs> After that, we'll head to the THN Sanctum Sanctorum, where we're rapping about our must-read picks for next week with some sexy ex-baddies. And finally, with Jonathan Hickman's ex-relaunch starting this Past week, Joe and I have decided to count down our top five favorite X relaunches. It's all happening in this Mutant X Gene activated episode, but first! You sound, sound a little emotional about it. I'm pissed off. I'm freaked <laughs> out. We better talk about this week's nerd news. I'm not mad about that. ABC is in quote active talks with Marvel for a new female superhero led TV series to replace. Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. after that show's 2020 finale. This is according to Deadline. ABC Entertainment President Carrie Burke spoke to Marvel. Uh, she said that the characters would be something brand new mostly. <laughs> that doesn't sound good. <laughs> gonna work. That's going to work great. Uh, Deadline paraphrased her saying that, quote, the series would fit in with its strategy of female-focused superheroes. Yeah, we get it. According to the Hollywood trade... Whoa, 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 back up. They're going to be women? Women. Ugh, I'm out. According <laughs> to the Hollywood trade, this project is separate from the female-focused Marvel television show that Alan Heinberg was working on for ABC in 2018. That project was reportedly canceled at the pilot stage. Uh, the network has had numerous Marvel shows in development over the years, but passed on them, including Jessica Jones, Marvel's Most Wanted... Which was a Jessica Jones-esque comedy, I guess. Ugh. And the Squirrel Girls New Warriors show. <sighs> Come on, guys. Which it developed for its sister station. Told you that wasn't happening. Freeform. Told you. It might still happen. Nah, told you. Deadline doesn't specify what heroes ABC is centered on, but specifically mentions She-Hulk, Danielle Moonstar, and Misty Knight as possible candidates. Because they all hang out all the time. That makes perfect sense. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. She-Hulk and Misty, maybe. I could see them, but what the hell is Daniel Moonstar doing there other than being a Native American? Let's be honest. Don't be racist. I, but really. She's a cool character. I agree, and a mutant that does not hang out with those characters. Uh, so the statement doesn't say what branch of Marvel they're in active talks with about the show. We got Marvel TV producing Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. We got Marvel Studios making their own shit. So who even knows what's going on? Yeah, of course. Give me an A-Force show. I'm all for it. I mean, I guess, but with all the stuff that they're doing on Disney Plus that yeah. we see coming, the Winter Soldier and Falcon, WandaVision, Hawkeye, and... Um, you have to say it like that. WandaVision. WandaVision. <laughs> it's so dumb. <laughs> this is going to feel like a show that doesn't count. If they just grab some heroes and throw them together, like, look, they're a girl team. It's just going to feel like a show uh, that doesn't count. You know, but... Who cares if it's good, man? Who cares? Who cares if it's good? 
if it's good, comma, who cares? Oh. <laughs> gotcha. Like, you said it backwards. I the, was like, what? It took me so long to, to figure this out, but like, the worst I, thing nerds do to their own hobby is nitpick this shit to death. I agree. I just don't think that Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. is any good. I like Agents and of S.H.I.E.L.D. And I don't necessarily want more of that. And I feel bad for Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. because they they were doing their job. They were trying to stick to the Marvel well, I mean, this movies isn't, and stuff. This isn't more Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. This is a different show yeah. made by different people. But I can also see that they want to get in on sort of the success that DC has had with CW. where They're like, look, we do whatever well, we want. And yeah, Marvel's not going to abandon network TV just because they course. have a streaming platform. Well, you say that now. <laughs> yeah, it's true. This could be a hit and they could pull the rug right out from under it just like <laughs> Netflix. But Who like, knows? She-Hulk, She-Hulk will never be a focus of the Marvel Cinematic Universe, I'm calling my shot. It's just not going to happen. It's too bad, too. But give me She-Hulk on TV. I'm into it. You know, until the Thing decides he doesn't want to be the Thing anymore and she replaces him with the Fantastic Four. Sure, there's always that. That would be so kick-ass. <laughs> <laughs> Let's get the Thing. Let's get a good version of the Thing first. From the Warren Ellis desk, Wildcats writer Warren Ellis has a bleak outlook on if that series will be released. The six-issue series originally announced to debut this month was removed from DC's publishing schedule and all orders through Diamond Comics distributor were canceled. This is from Ellis. Wildcats isn't coming out. <laughs> That's okay. It's pretty direct. There's hope that it'll be resolicited at a later date, but for now, it's canceled. Here's what sucks. Many of, not many of us, but a few of us have absolutely loved the Wildstorm relaunch. Yeah. It did not sell. And as it went on, you, you stopped the numbers. You're adding your commentary way too early. That's not further. what's happening here. That's part of it. No, it's not part of it. Ellis wrote in his weekly newsletter, Orbitable Operations. Of course, that's what it's called. As you know, I was two scripts in with chunks of other parts done and full in a lengthy treatment for six issues. So it's kind of frustrating. For me, too. R.I.P. my bills. Oh, whatever, dude. <laughs> you got to be kidding me. You're not making that uh, fat red money from Red and Red 2 still? Uh, DC co-publisher and CCO Jim Lee tweeted out in July that he aims to get Ellis Wildcat's book back on track. The originally solicited series artist Ramon Villalobos has publicly said he had deadline issues with the project, but that, as far as he know, the series wasn't canceled. So let's be let's be clear here. The orders were canceled. DC has not right. said that the series has been canceled. DC said we have plans to release the series right. at a later date. Um, Warren Ellis is not looking at it so positively, but Ramon Villalobos is is the reason why this series has been canceled or the orders have been canceled. As far as you know, drinking the Kool Aid. Yeah, is that what the man told you, Joe? Really? No, it's what. Did you, did you read that on the? It's uh, what the artist himself said. <laughs> yeah, maybe they made him say it. You ever think about that? <laughs> I'm just worried we're never going to see this because the sales weren't good on the end of Wildstorm. They weren't good. So what if Ramon Villalobos is falling behind? What? pushes are going to be for them to be like all right go ahead and finish it and let's get it done or they just write okay, him a check for what he did and how said, many issues it. into the wildstorm have we gotten before they announced a spinoff of it like they're dc there was spinoffs right away yeah but i mean when wildcats was announced dc already knew how wildstorm was selling like they still were like yep it's a good idea let's do it there's a lot of new realities that just took place at dc very recently too where we're shifting things moving things canceling what imprints. is this don't call them imprints. theory this happens from? every week we go okay this is a single title dc changed where the artist again. came out and said i couldn't meet my deadlines womp womp sorry or, or maybe 
they said your pop-up imprint, not imprint, isn't doing the shtick and or doing the trick, and we need to. I don't know. All right. Well, I, I'm done having this I'm conversation with you. There's less than a 50% chance we ever see that Wildcat series. Yeah. Okay. But I'm saying there's less of a 50% chance that the sales of the Wildstorm were the reason why DC decided to cancel orders for this book. If they were better, I bet they don't cancel it. Again, the, the book has not been canceled. Yeah, bet what I'm saying is if they the sales were better. This happens with I late bet books. Aren't canceled. This happens with late books all the time. Yeah, They're canceled the, and resolicited. I agree, but the creators and come out and go, it's not happening. <laughs> well, Warren Ellis is Warren Ellis. <laughs> that was the first thing he said in his yeah. post. <laughs> Warren Ellis is a curmudgeon, so who knows? I hope it comes out. I love Ramon Villalobos, but I if they have too. to get somebody else to draw it, then that's fine. Whatever. Just get somebody else. I don't yeah. care. But that shit takes time. And meanwhile, you can't have late orders hanging out in the system. It's bad. It's bad for retailers. It's bad for Diamond. It's bad for everybody. That's true. Now, here's a truly wild story. Now, buckle up, because there's a lot to get through. Writer-artist Rob Liefeld revealed in a Facebook post last week that he no longer owns Youngblood, the first comic he did after famously leaving Marvel to help create Image Comics. The best part of this statement was Newsarama tweeted it as Rob Leefield says he's lost control of Youngblood. <laughs> and I immediately <laughs> tweeted, I blame the schools. <laughs> like, they're out of their nuts! <laughs> uh, not only that, but Liefeld also revealed he hasn't actually owned Youngblood for more than 20 years. Yep. Even while serving as the face of the franchise, which also includes such well-known Liefeld creations as Badrock, Shaft, Vogue, and Sentinel. If you can tell me who Sentinel is, I'll give you a dollar. Sentinel was the guy with the little skull on his head. That's Chapel. No, 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 not Chapel. Sentinel had, like, braids, and he had, like, a, I want to say, like, a blue face. He was a dead man, though. Sentinel was dead, and they, like, brought it. He was, like, a zombie dude, I think. Fact check. Yeah, let's look it up. I'm pretty sure I'm right, though. Uh, Sentinel is a black man. Let me see him. He wears red and blue armor. He does not have a skull on his okay, face. Okay, not who I was thinking of at all. Nope. He was a, okay, total ripoff of Bullet <laughs> that ran around with Cable. That's what he was. <laughs> he even had the same outfit on. <laughs> all right, well, regardless, I don't have a dollar. Okay. Uh, so yeah, Liefeld regularly promoted it and always gave his blessing to new creators who worked with the characters, but as of now... Like, immediately, Liefeld will no longer be involved with Youngblood in any way unless changes to who holds the publishing rights are made. Liefeld's Facebook post went up on Wednesday. It explained some of the reasons why, along with some of his rationale for walking away from his most famous creator-owned characters, the post pointed to a regretful business deal Liefeld made in his 20s, two decades of a cordial agreement, and finally, the recent involvement of a new publisher with a controversial past who Liefeld felt was severely disrespectful to the point of making his continued involvement with Youngblood untenable. Just say that you're a bad businessman, Rob, and you signed the wrong contract. So here's you the sort of starry-eyed, cute Rob Lee Sure, field, yeah, yeah. And you thought everybody had their, your best, you know, like, <laughs> <laughs> wishes at hand. But no, that no, wasn't it. We don't want to laugh about this. You this got hosed, man. He did get hosed. Now, here's the, here's the tale. When Liefeld split with Image and formed Awesome Comics with Jeff Loeb in 97, he brought on an investor, Scott Rosenberg. Rosenberg was the former president of Malibu Comics. Malibu was the company that helped get Image off the ground. Mabalu. Mabalu, yeah. Yeah. Uh, when Awesome Comics shut down in 2000 after a stellar three-year run, the rights to the characters involved were split between Liefeld, Rosenberg, and a third investor, uh, John Hyde. So 
in 2000. Liefeld lost two-thirds of his Youngblood characters. (laughs) At that point, you don't own it anymore, man. Yeah. (laughs) I got bad news. (laughs) Liefeld spoke to The Beat on Monday, and he said that from 1997 until some point last year, he and Rosenberg have had a cordial and productive working relationship. And I did not know how thirds worked. Yeah, one third, two third, three third. Poor Rob Liefeld did not understand. Oh yeah, yeah. You still got one, Rob. You're good. <laughs> Liefeld served as the public face of the Youngblood franchise, fielding calls whenever there was an interest in it, and taking any business dealings back to Rosenberg. That all changed in July of last year when Rosenberg made a deal with a man named Andrew Rev. Rev once owned Comico, an indie oh, publishing shit. company that went into <laughs> bankruptcy in the 1990s. Liefeld stated that Rev was disrespectful to him. Which makes it sound like they kicked sand in his face on yeah, the beach. Like, uh, Get out of here, nerd! Right. <laughs> like, he needed to take the Charles Atlas uh, hero of the beach. They were disrespectful to me. <laughs> uh, Rev frequently told Liefeld that he could make him, the co-creator of Deadpool, a big success in comics. Or make him into the next Todd McFarlane. Name the two most famous creators from the early days of Image Comics. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. The web gets even more tangled after Rosenberg claimed that this deal was actually made by a corporate entity that he formed in the 90s, one that he no longer owns. <laughs> Jesus. <laughs> the bottom line is that Liefeld's most famous creator-owned work is now in someone else's hands thanks to a series of mistakes he made in his 20s and some very unorthodox I'm kind of lost business Because it sounds like two-thirds of Youngblood is in nobody's hands. Well, <laughs> if Rev made this deal with some with a, for a company that he does not own, who owns also, it? Also, maybe the third guy still owns a third. Or yeah, or there is no third guy. I don't know. Who well, there is a third it? guy, John Hyde. Right. Uh, who was not involved in this recent shenanigans. Uh, so Re- Rosenberg came out and said, yeah, the, the copyrights to those characters are actually owned by that corporate entity that I am no longer involved with. Right. Uh, it's like Rip Media or something Good stupid. God. Something 90s. So nobody owns Youngblood There's right now. There's 18 people that own one character each from Youngblood. <laughs> yeah. And none of them are Rob Liefeld. I like to think Rob Liefeld's like his lawyer was like, we got to go to court. And Rob's like, do we? I might just let that go. I you know, uh, not really I, doing like, anything with it. I feel really bad for him because he's yeah. like he is a sweet guy, very enthusiastic. He's a legit sweet guy, and, and that sounds like he signed the wrong business deal with the wrong people. Yeah, it's and just that it's happens, such a bizarre. Like, can you imagine something you did when you were twenty two, coming back to bite you in the ass at age forty four or however old you are now? Yeah, that kid just showed up. Last week, actually, <laughs> I told him to get, the- get out of here. It's just, it's, it's so crazy this story, and the, and the, the, there's guys involved. It's like, oh, that's not me. No, 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 that's not me. Yeah, <laughs> just, it's so bizarre. And meanwhile, this guy Rev Andrew Rev, he hasn't published a comic since Comico went out of business Good in the God. early '90s. Uh, he also somehow owns the rights to Bill Willingham's Elementals, which is a whole nother thing. Because they, they were Comico as well. They were Comico, yeah. Comico was pretty famous for ripping people off. Like, nobody left that. Nobody got out of Comico happy. Uh, it was a bad scene. Yeah, and so it's it's insane. And this guy comes out of nowhere, and Rob's like, the biggest, the biggest problem is, like, what's he going to do? What's he going to do? Nothing. He signed the paperwork. He's not going to do shit. Yeah, it's just like... <laughs> 
But what's this guy going to do with Youngblood? Is he going to start a comic book company and no, put out Youngblood comics? That, it sounds like, again, it sounds like this guy has really shaky ground on whether or not he even owns it. All Rob Leefield knows is, I don't have control and of it this, anymore. <laughs> and this third-party corporate entity, if somebody came knocking saying, yeah, I want to buy Youngblood. If you knew that there was interest in Youngblood. Well, the good news is that's not going to be a problem anytime soon. <laughs> yeah. But like if you knew, if you were the owner of Youngblood and you knew that there was interest out there in Youngblood. Wait, look, say what you will. Rob Liefeld has a lot of fans. Sure. Especially now uh-huh. as young kids are coming of age. Yep. Why wouldn't you go to someplace like Boom or IDW? Or Image. <laughs> sure. Where you owned your shit. And that's the problem. I'm not talking about Rob. I'm talking about the, the, the corporation. Oh, like before you sold it to this no name. I don't know. Well, why didn't you take it to a company that actually publishes creator own comics? But think about how this shit happens all the time when we start talking about the rights of characters, especially older characters. Now, I get it. This is the 90s and whatnot. But think about how this shit happens where all of a sudden we have no idea who owns Rom Space Knight. We have no clue. Well, we do know. You know, and like, and like suddenly we didn't know who owned the dire rates and that was the whole thing. And maybe Marvel still owned it because they own part of that. And like this shit it's happens. Definitely it's all legal BS. And this stuff, you can get lost in it so fast. And it's ultimately he was the one that signed the. Wrong yeah, no, it's deal, true. It's you know? true. But and I feel bad for him. But at the same time, you got to be careful, man. It's just such a messed up. You got to have lawyers watch and check yeah. out all the shit. It's like, I mean, I'm not to equate Rob Liefeld with Marvel Comics, but it's like. Uh, we did not check the contracts, and now some dude bought the rights to the Submariner. Yeah, I mean that shit happened. Just like happened a lot. And I don't mean the film rights; I mean the comic rights. Hey, it's yeah. like we cannot use Namor <laughs> anymore ever. It's so weird that that can happen. Yeah, it's crazy. <sighs> Youngblood, R.I.P. R.I.P. <laughs> That's your nerd news for the week, but I'm sure we missed plenty of other stories while fleshing out our X-Pod people conspiracy theories on 4chan. So hit us up on the THN forums, big news section, or better yet, tune in to Cover to Cover Live every Saturday where we broadcast on our Facebook page from 1130 to 1230 Central Standard Time. It's like AM talk radio, but for nerds and with 100% more brigade discussion. That is a dude I'm thinking of, the leader brigade. He was the guy that had the skull in his face. Yeah, yeah. Hold the leader. He was not. He wore blue, but he was not blue. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But he, he had, had white like, hair and he had a little skull on his face. Yep. Yeah. This is him. Yeah. I'm looking at him. But that's not the case. What's his name? What's his name? So call us at 402-819-4894 or click the call now button on our Facebook page. And if you can't be there live, leave a message or send an MB3 to twoheadednerd at gmail.com. Battlestone. Makes total sense. Now, Battlestone. I can't prove it, but I'll bet I'm the only person that hit the Brigade Wiki today. You know what? <laughs> Fuck it. This month. <laughs> This week's ludicrous speed round is big. So big, we had to call in a favor from two of our favorite giant mutants. Strangely, very hard to find mutants with growth powers. Yeah, really hard. (laughs) Think about that one, nerds, huh? Mull that over. We're having a piggyback war in the pool, and I'm riding giant apocalypse where Joe rides tower. See, X-Factor number two. Uh, I could barely remember him either. And we're reviewing 16 of this week's comics for a giant size ludicrous speed ride! Ludicrous speed! Go! That's head number one from Marvel. Marvel's favorite giant bounty hunter, Cyborg, finds himself, possibly itself, on Earth after Yondu literally flushes him, slash maybe it, down a dimensional toilet that empties into New York, of course. There's an industrial noise band, naturally, that finds DH in a dumpster and turns him into an amplifier. 
course, he wakes up on stage and chaos ensues. But luckily, Wiccan and Hulkling of Young Avengers fame are there to handle it. Writer Teeny Howard has a good script with a great last page, but there was a weird decision made by Wiccan to force the plot along a bit. I dug Kaizama's art, and the new take on Death's Head seems like what DC failed to do with Lobo during the new 52. I'm giving this a buy. It, it was good. It was fun. Yeah. Paper Girls 30. Actually, it should be Paper Girls 1 through 30 for Joe Patrick. It's true. From Image. It's true. <laughs> I have a confession. I never read past the first issue of Paper Girls. I have no real reason. I love Brian K. Period Vaughn and Cliff Chang. I just got too far behind and never caught up. That is, until last week when I sat down and binged the entire series in one three-hour sitting. This book was a joy from start to finish, and this issue puts a perfect bow on the girls' adventure through time. They may have forgotten the details, but hopefully they remember the lessons they learned and the bond they forged. Vaughn and Chang leave it up to us to decide. This was a perfect ending. If you've never read Paper Girls, please do so at your earliest convenience. Huge buy it. Coming soon to Amazon. Yeah. TV series. Yeah, yeah. Green Lantern Annual number one from DC. Grant Morrison's Green Lantern has been amazing to the point of landmark storytelling that saved the character from the post-Jeff Johns rut of repeating Ring Wars ad nauseum. Giuseppe Kemencoli steps in on art duties here for what is essentially kind of a throwaway story featuring the Jordan family fighting a cell phone gremlin named Zippets. This is bring, this is bringing back so many obscure things. Stay with me. Yeah. With the help of Hal's nephew, yes, Airway. Correct. <laughs> okay. <laughs> now, Zippets is a character from Morrison's run on The Flash, and Howard. Jordan- no, it was a different character. No, it was the same, same one. Same race, different character. This, I believe. Same name. I looked it up. Oh, okay. Same My exact mistake. character. All right. Howard Jordan Jr. was an airwave briefly back in the 80s, but he died. He came back as a Black Lantern. Well, no, John's used him in uh, JSA. But I don't believe it was... Oh, did he? Mm-hmm. It was the same one? I mean, he still died. Okay. Well, he oh, came yeah. back. He died. He became a Black Lantern. Died again. Although, I don't know if you can kill him when they're already Black Lanterns. Regardless, well, he's back, he's feeling much better, and he's Hal's nephew, Airwave. Sure, there's a lot of cute and head-scratching throwback history stuff here, but the story felt cute at best, and a huge departure from the regular run, and wasn't Airwave supposed to be a new gay character with a cartoon recently? That's the Ray. Oh, the Ray. All these gay kids are the same thing. (laughs) I'm giving it a skim it. Wow. (laughs) Men are black, number one from Dark Horse. Cullen Bunn reunites with his Harrow County artist Tyler Crook and his sixth gun artist and now co-writer Brian Hurt. Manor Black follows a family of sorcerers and the patriarch that's searching for a worthy successor before he dies, and it sure as hell ain't gonna be any of his deadbeat kids. This is Cullen Bunn in his spooky element. The story is immediately compelling, and Tyler Crook is a huge talent. Yeah, he's too good. He's too good. I'm really looking forward to more Manor Black. I'm giving it a buy it. Powers of 10, number one from Marvel. If you thought Hawks was a wild ride, hold on to your britches, because it's only getting wilder in pox. We jump 100 years into the X future to meet the aftermath of the fall of Krakoa and the mutant breeding pits of Mars. So not a lot going on there. Nah, you know? nah. New characters with similar powers show up, and we get Hickman briefings that start to flesh out his massive X epic. R.B. Silva goes ham on the sci-fi art with his tight line and amazing action sequences that break up the Hickmaniest story I have ever read from this big-brained author. Powers of Ten has me even more excited than the first issue of House of X. I'm giving this a buy it. I just, 
I, I just don't even know what to think, and it, I love it. It scrambles my entire brain. It's wackadoo. Yeah, it absolutely is. The Batman Who Laughs, number seven from DC. Finally, our long national nightmare is over. The Batman Who Laughs has finally reached its conclusion. Ooh. What's that? This is just uh, directly spinning off into the new Batman Superman title? Uh, uh. <laughs> DC is really pushing this evil Batman shtick hard, and I'm feeling kind of over it. The series has been almost oppressively bleak with each page. Not literally each page, but every issue telling us there's no hope for you, Batman. I think it's almost there's each page. No, there's no hope for you, Batman. It's borderline. You can't win. You're going to die. You can't win. You're going to turn until whoops. He wins. This one was borderline almost every panel. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, we get some forward momentum on the infected good guy subplot that's been simmering through Year of the Villain, and Jock's art is wonderful as always. Who in the fuck authorized red letters on black caption boxes? Stop it. It's scary. impossible to read. Oh, but it's scary. You can't read it, but when you can, <laughs> if you can, you get scared. Seven issues of The Batman Who Laughs it was just kind of a lot. I'm giving it a skim it. Absolute Carnage, number one from Marvel. If I had to pick one book <laughs> that I was going to read this week, and you told me it was a Carnage book, I would tell you you are out of your goddamn mind, but Donnie Cates and Ryan Stegman have lifted the character of Venom from a bad 90s idea to a cosmically connected monster with an enemy from its past so scary it could kill the entire Marvel Universe, all because a bunch of creators couldn't fight the urge to put other characters in the symbiote. It's so great. <laughs> Cletus Cassidy is back as Carnage, but this time he has a real mission that's been building since the latest Venom number one relaunch and has links all the way back to Jason Aaron's God Butcher story in his Thor run. This first issue was fantastic. It was beautifully dark and scary and just more fun than anyone should have reading a Venom event story. They turned the planet of the symbiotes into a giant prison. It's just a bunch of symbiotes all holding their evil god in place so he can't escape. It's so cool. <laughs> the art the art is tremendous. It is amazing, and it might be time to give these two Spider-Man. I'm giving it a buy-in. Speaking of Spider-Man, friendly neighborhood <laughs> Spider-Man, number nine from Marvel. About that, uh, Nick Spencer's Amazing Spider-Man gets all the attention, but I'm telling you here and now that this is Marvel's best Spidey book on the stands. Tom Taylor is playing a long game here, seeding lots of ideas and adding some pretty great stuff to the Marvel U. This issue reveals the secret history of The Rumor, a kick-ass Golden Age character that you didn't know existed. Great art by Ken Lashley and Juan Cabal. Given Friendly Neighborhood Spidey, number nine, a buy it. This kick-ass until it turns out to be the century. No, no, it's not <laughs> century. Uh, it, this book is so good. Okay. Killers, number one from Valiant. The Valiant Ninja program takes the stage here as ninjas G and J are pulled into a scheme to steal the tears of the frozen monk to further extend their ancient master's life. You mean Ninjag? Ninjag and Ninj. Ninjag. Ninjag. Ninjag and Ninjag. Yes. B. Claymore writes a solid international super espionage script, and Fernando Dagnino is mostly great, but there were a couple of panels where his action looked a little funky. No Ninja K here so far, but Valiant's Weapon X homage has proved to be a lot of fun and much better with its continuity, I gotta say. I'm giving this a buy it. Future Foundation number one from Marvel. The FF have been back for a while now, so it's time to check on the group of school children that they dumped in the multiverse. Well, they didn't really dump them as much as they just left them yeah, there. Right? <laughs> 
Defenseless writer Jeremy Whitley has a pretty good feel for the individual characters' voices, and the cosmic jailbreak story is pretty fun. But Will Robson's art is freakishly bizarre, hyper-cartoony, and exaggerated to the extreme. Everyone, and I mean everyone, has this ridiculously muscular physique, even the younger kids. Really? I know that there was some kind of weird time jump thing going on, but do not tell me that Artie and Leech have six-pack abs, Future Foundation. You don't know. They can't just be doing, like, crunches in the, wherever the hell they are in space. Skim it. Like, nothing to do in prison, right? So you just do a fucking workout, dude. <laughs> <laughs> you get ripped. Like, Alex Power from Power Pack has the body of Thor, but the face of a little kid. It's <laughs> grotesque. <laughs> Knight's Temporal, number one from Aftershock. Cullen Bunn will not be stopped until he is writing every comic on the stands. Here he is writing a group of time knights stalking evil wizards and monsters, you guessed it, through time. The script is whimsical, fun, reminding me of Doctor Who with more swords, but the real star here is Fran Galan. No way I'm saying that right, but it's fun to say. Fran Galan. Fran Galan. Amazing action-packed sequences that remind me of what I love about artists like Humberto Ramos with exceptional digital effects. This book was beautiful. Knight's Temporal has a great shtick and even better art. I'm giving it a buy it. Agents of Alice, number one. This one's for you, China, from Marvel. <laughs> it's not just China. Greg Pak and artist Nico Leon bring back the team introduced during the War of the Realms as they defend Asia, all of Asia, thank you, from a threat that might not be so threatening? We don't know. Oh. Jeff Parker and Carlo Pagulian touch base with the original team we fell in love with back in 2006. Fun stories, great art all around. Pack does focus more on the familiar characters, and I get it, like Amadeus Cho and Silk, but I'd like to get to know more about these new heroes down the line. But I'm giving Agents of Atlas number one and buy it. It's good. Okay. Death Defying Devil, number one from Dynamite. The boomerang tossing red and blue golden age Daredevil predecessor returns to Dynamite with mediocre art and an even worse story. Gail Simone writes the story of DD Devil getting his ass kicked by someone who runs a group of racist thugs who pick on people for no reason I can really tell, and the cops won't help because the people they're picking on, they're Mexican. Ooh, racism. Timely, right? But. The attempted timely racism is so heavy-handed, it comes off as cartoonish and just plain old silly. This felt lazy on Simone's part, and the return of the death-defying devil gets a leave-it. Mm -hmm. Coffin Bound, number one from Image. Chased by an unstoppable killer, Izzy Tyburn has decided that if the world won't have her in it, it can have nothing of her at all. What? She's retreading <laughs> her life, leaving nothing but burned rubber, ash, and the sun-scorched bones of those who get in her way. Oh. Okay. I'm with you so far. The solicit is coherent. It makes sense. So why is Lucifer writer Dan Waters trying to put an impenetrable wall around his book with incomprehensible dialogue? It's like the most vertigo vertigo bullshit from like the 90s when vertigo was so high on their own nonsense. Oh, yeah. It's just like overly flowery, poetic nonsense. Pro People don't talk like that. Just too precious to live. Too precious to live. Got it. The beautiful art by Danny, one name, and colorist Brad Simpson has a great European flair, very Eduardo Rizzo, but the script feels like it was written in code. Coffinbound number one gets a skim it just based on the gorgeous art. Sinestro, Year of the Villain one-shot from DC. 
Mark Russell is quickly becoming one of the best writers in comics, and here he writes an amazing story of Sinestro's genius when trying to deal with an invading force that Lex Luthor wants out of the way. And wow, does it end up absolutely meaningful, terrifying, and poignant to what is going on in the United States today. I cannot give this a bigger buy it. If the rest of the year of the villain is this good, count me in. Berserker, Unbound, number one from Dark Horse. Mike Diodato steps away from Marvel for the first time in two decades with this creator-owned project, and he had the good sense to bring Jeff Lemire along for the ride. It's hard not to compare this time-traveling barbarian to Conan. He looks like Conan with red hair. Aside from a few differences, he even sounds like Conan. What really makes this issue stand out, though, is Diodato's phenomenal art. And I know that I am I bag on him sometimes, but this issue was gorgeous. It's very, very pretty. Uh, and he's helped by colorist Frank Martin. There's a gritty texture to it, and Diodato's page layouts are stunning. They are really amazing. The things he does with, like, grids. I have no doubt that Lemire's story will end up being great. Uh, it's very, like, set-up kind of sure. boilerplate right now. Uh, but Berserker Unbound number one is worth the price of admission for the art alone. I'm giving it a buy it. So let me ask you this, and we'll talk about it this weekend on Cover to Cover. Do you think Diodato's just been, like, treading water, doing his job? No, like, I know on. that Diodato's talented. It's just that He's he, a talented guy. I just feel like sometimes he doesn't even have he to takes, try. He takes some shortcuts. Yeah. Yeah, like, it, it's, it's been better lately, but, like, when he was drawing New Avengers a while back, like, you could definitely tell. Oh, like, yeah. You're just cutting and pasting that yep. that mech armor, bro. Crunch! Kafrooch! That is your ludicrous speed round. And crunch is the sound of boots on ribs. And kafrooch is the sound of five dozen ampules of amyl nitrate breaking. Okay. It's drugs. As seen in the collected adventures of the fabulous Furry Freak Brothers, this onomatopoeia of the week was submitted by Adam Wednesday drug addict via Facebook. <laughs> if you want to submit an onomatopoeia of the week, kick in the ribs of any of our social media accounts. But, you know, maybe take it easy. We've been beat up lately. Or send an email to twoheadednerd at gmail.com. You don't know what amyl nitrate is? Big druggie like you? I figured you would have known what that amyl was. Amyl nitrate? No. Used by inhalation to relieve pain and angina attacks. Yeah. It's a painkiller. It works by relaxing blood vessels and increasing supply of blood. Do people... Oh, poppers! Pop, had you said poppers, I would know. It didn't say poppers. It said ampules of amyl nitrate. Yeah, well, nobody calls it that. They just call it poppers. It was in the comic. This week in the THN Sanctum Sanctorum, we're joined by the lovely Celine and the Goblin Queen herself, Madeline Pryor, both in one-piece swimsuits that would make Vampirella blush. Yikes. For a dip in the jacuzzi of Zarathos, for a schwitz and an Aperol spritz, a schwitz and a spritz. There you go, baby. And a discussion of our must-read picks for next week. Matt Bomb, what do you got? My pick for next week is Conan the Barbarian Exodus, number one from Marvel, written and drawn by Asad Ribic. 32 pages. It is $3.99. Here's your solicit. Man versus nature in the never-before-told story of Conan's first journey from Samaria! Long have the stories of Conan, who came from the frozen hills of his homeland, Samaria, to tread the jeweled thrones of the earth in the Hyborian Age. But now you will witness the epic tale of the young barbarian's first journey from home. Visionary... What? First journey from... Okay. Cool now. From visionary creator Esad Ribic. Fifteen winters in Samaria have toughened the young Conan, but his greatest challenge lies ahead. Braving the elements, without food, without shelter, without weapons, 
Conan must learn to survive even as nature itself conspires to stop him. The snow freezes his bones. Okay, we get it. The wolves smell his blood. But if he can reach civilization, will his wounds heal? Or will his troubles just begin? Spoiler, his troubles just begin. With a majestic scope underscored by the completely visual narrative. That means no words, I bet. Which means they may not be writing any dialogue. (laughs) Don't miss this truly special moment in Conan's story and an unprecedented issue in Marvel Comics publication history. Who has absolutely never published comics with no words before. Uh, I don't know if they're just saying, like, we've never done that with Conan or maybe, like, Look, this is gonna be beautiful because Asad Ribic is doing it. But I want to like talk about fifteen-year-old Conan. Do you think he's got like a shitty little mustache? I hope so. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, that was probably like nine-year-old Conan. Fifteen-year-old Conan Pimples. Has, a, has a beard. Okay, you know? sure, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I don't care. No words. Fine. Asad yeah, Ribic. Yeah, Yeah, I'm totally in. Absolutely. I'll watch him do this his Frazetta stuff all day. Yep, I'm down. I agree. What's your pick? My pick for next week is White Trees, number one of two from Image Comics, written by Chip Zdarsky, art by Chris Anka. It's 40 pages for $4.99. Here's your solicit. Miniseries premiere! Acclaimed Daredevil writer, Chip Zdarsky! Two issues is a miniseries? It's a miniseries, yes. Okay. Two issues. All right. Teams up with superstar Runaways artist Chris Anka and Matt Wilson for this spectacular, oversized two-issue miniseries! <laughs> In the fantastical world of Black Sand, peace was hard won, and three unbending warriors carry the scars to prove it. Now, almost 20 years later, their children are missing and war is on the horizon. Can they put aside their memories of the war and each other for one last adventure? I thought you said this was gay porn. It's got adult content, yes. <laughs> it's like, that doesn't sound like gay porn. Yeah, me. yeah. Uh, <laughs> this is this is like a gay fantasy Look, epic. I, I came here for yeah. gay porn, okay? <laughs> <laughs> uh, it's definitely going to have fantasy dicks, so be aware of that. But, like, these creators, Chip Zdarsky and Chris Anka, you're like, yeah, I'm going to read it. Yeah, and gay porn. I'm in. Hey, I've been watching a lot of Queer Eye, okay? I've been watching a lot of gay porn. The THN trade for next week. That's nothing new. The THN trade of the week for this this week, not next week, this week, goes to Press Enter to continue the hardcover from Fantagraphics, written and drawn by Anna Galvin. 96 pages for $19.99. It's a hardcover. That's not bad. Here's your solicit. Like a candy-colored Black Mirror episode, Spanish cartoonist Anna Galvin's English-language debut utilizes fluorescent colors to create a series of short stories that intertwine and explore the dehumanizing effects of contemporary society. Galvin's characters navigate a world where government departments brutalize the people. Information is mined like gold, and suicide is a tool to manage overpopulation. Galvin's future is a logical extension of the present, obviously, where the malice of large corporations manifests itself in everyday ways. Sounds like a real pick-me-up. Yeah, yeah, it sounds feel good. <laughs> uh, Galvin's art is incredible. Yeah, that's basically why I picked it. Absolutely incredible. Check this out. It's going to be really good. Check it out, nerds. These are only three of the comics that are coming out next week. So please let us know what you're reading. And please don't forget to pre-order your comics. It really does help. It's super important. I cannot stress that enough. Just do it. Don't be a jerk. No place to hide. No place to run. No place to run. The mutant age has now begun. It's been.
since the whole damn show has centered around the latest X-Men relaunch, it's only fitting that we do our definitive THN Top 5 X relaunch countdown. Now, we're not talking about necessarily new number ones, but like huge creative shakeups. New fresh starts. Status quo changes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Big, you know. Big moments where the X-Men were shaken up big time. Yeah. Bingo, bango. Bingo, bango. Matt Bomb, you got a number five for me? I do. My number five X relaunch event goes to Grant Morrison's post X movie X relaunch. New X-Men. It was darker. It was grittier. They put on the leather just like in the movie X peeps, but yeah. they were different. It, it was it was a weird time because Grant Morrison was going nuts mm-hmm. and doing whatever he wanted to do with the X stuff. And it was great. It was a lot of fun. But I think there was a little bit of Marvel editorial. I was like, hey. Could we maybe just make their outfits sort of kind of like the X movie leather sort of? <laughs> what are you talking about? I mean, they changed out of the blue and gold and they put on leather and just all of the X-Men had distinctive costumes up until that point. They all had their own costumes. Mm-hmm. And then now they were wearing like matching. Right. And the X movie outfits, just like in the X movies. Right. Yeah. So I don't know. Regardless, they were sort of going after some more real world stories. There was like some teen pregnancy stuff in there. And then there was like super far out shit, too. You had Zorn and Magneto and the whole Joseph thing. Still not clear in what happened there. No, no. Joseph was years before that. Yeah, but we, we no. yeah, he was years before it. But in the end, no, we didn't know. Joseph if, didn't show up in Grant Morrison's X-Men. I'm not saying Joseph did. We still don't know if Magneto was Zorn or Joseph or just plain old Zorn or Magneto. <laughs> Like, oh, I remember think, there was that whole thing. We still it's I still don't think it's clear at all. I think Joseph actually has shown up since then. Yes, he has. But it was never made real clear. But there was there. like whoever was posing as Magneto dead did definitely get his head cut off. Yes. At the end. Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> at the time it breathed real life into the X books. Joe Casey quietly took over Uncanny X-Men, which was really good at the time, as I recall. Didn't quite get the spotlight that Grant Morrison's well, did. Well, yeah, and then after that, Chuck Austin took over, so. Well, everything went to hell after that, so, yeah. But regardless, new X-Men is my number five. All right. Uh, my number five goes to the Brian Michael Bendis era. And I know a lot of people have criticisms about that, and I know it kind of drug on for a, a long time. Uh, it was still really good. In the moment, yeah. he was doing exciting things that I really enjoyed. Like, I thought the twist of bringing the kid X-Men uh, from the past to the present was super interesting. It was great. And you never, you didn't know, like, what was going to happen, how it was going to end. Those kids stuck around for way too long. Yeah, but to be completely fair to Brian Michael Bendis, that's not his fault. Sure. They kept the kids around right. too long. Um, and then on Uncanny, he did the whole thing where Cyclops and Magneto and Emma had their, like, fugitive squad where yeah. uh cyclops was like he had a, a a falling out with the rest of the x-men and went to do his own thing uh and he was more like a revolutionary and that i agree went on for a little too long as well the Again. idea of cyclops as a bad guy basically Again, not brian michael bennis's fault well i mean it was already started before that though. yeah they had the schism and all that yeah but uh i just i really liked what they were doing chris bacalo was uh drawing uncanny and um david marquez right i think it was david marquez was drawing oh no it was stuart Eminem and That's then right. david marquez yeah uh were, were doing all new x-men i loved those books at the time they were great and it was really different started than what really had been strong. going on in the x-men started for a long time. really strong yeah 
My number four goes to Death of the X-Men. It happened right after the fall of the mutants. Oh, yeah. Yeah, baby. Wolvie, Psylocke, Storm, Colossus, Havoc, Longshot, and Dazzler. One of my favorite X-Teams of all time, by the way. They all go through a portal called the Siege Perilous, and they were reborn. In Australia. Yes, See, they, they were, were resurrected by Roma, right? Or right. Whatever. The world saw them die on camera, basically. They did die. During the falling of. So yeah. they died. They were reborn in Australia where they went and took on the Reavers. And Wolvie got, like, crucified to an X on a super classic Mark Silvestri cover. Oh, man. And that's where they introduced the idea that the X-Men could not be uh, caught on camera. They yes. were invisible to cameras. Right. Which I don't know. Did for a little while there. I don't know if they like it got undone or people just forgot. I think it. I think it quietly went away. At the same time, the original X Men formed X Factor. Oh my god. Oh. And, yeah. Yep. Um. But then also Excalibur. The, yes. the surviving members of the X Men became Excalibur. Became Excalibur. Yeah. Bob Layton was writing X Factor. It was so good. So Bob Layton. Or Bob Layton started Wilson. us off. All right. Yeah. It was so good. It was such an exciting time for the X-Men 2. Alan Davis and uh, Alan Moore. Chris Claremont. I'm sorry. Alan Davis and Chris Claremont were on Excalibur. Is that right? I think so. Didn't Alan Moore do some Excalibur? Or no, he did Captain Britain. He did Captain Britain. Yeah, he did Captain Britain. But that was in the early 80s. Yeah, yeah. Oh, it was such an exciting time for the X-Men. I loved it. Loved it. Yeah, you know, I was I was late to all that stuff, so it didn't really leave oh, a huge impression on me. Man, uh, my number four goes to what is probably, arguably, the most beloved run of the X Men, and that's the Claremont and uh, Chris Claremont, Dave Cockrum, John Byrne run. Yeah, um, I discovered that stuff in college when uh, Marvel was putting out those essentials in black and white for like fifteen bucks. You could get like thirty issues of the X Men in one book. Right. And I just like devoured that stuff. But, you know, it's a little bit lower on my list because uh, it's I didn't I didn't discover it until I was way older. Okay. but I can see why it was such a huge hit. Like Uncanny X-Men was one of the highest selling comic books in the world at the time. Yeah. Like ever. at the Yeah. And uh, they were just crushing it on every storyline. And the funny thing is is going back and like I heard about things like yeah days of future past man it's so crazy and there's that famous cover where Wolverine's getting obliterated by the Sentinel it's two issues yeah days of future past is two <laughs> it's issues. literally two issues now yeah. they've revisited it countless a times billion, since then. yeah a billion so when times. you get the trade it's 400 pages. yeah right yeah <laughs> um but yeah they were doing really groundbreaking stuff I just wish that I had I had picked it up when I was younger when I was getting into comics but I didn't I didn't get into the X-Men until I was well, we'll get there. Yeah, we'll get there. Yeah. Fair enough. Um, that's sort of my number three, but it's more framed in the classic X-Men sort of vein. Yeah. Where I because I was a little too young to really jump on that as right. well. But the X-Men was some of the first stuff I read. And when classic X-Men came out, it introduced me to the idea of some of the old Claremont stuff. I went back and checked it out then. Well, and then they also used that book to flesh out that era with yeah. backup stories. Yes. Uh, by Claremont and like John Bolton. It was so like cool. Beautiful painted art. It was art. so cool. So like while classic X-Men was not necessarily like a relaunch or something, it was almost like, I mean, come to think of it, it was a really egotistical project on Chris Claremont's part. <laughs> <laughs> well, it was Marvel just trying to like repackage something and yeah, reselling it. But it introduced me to all that. And yeah. that was like my number. That was like my 
opening to the X world. Uh, oh. Fun fact, my first my first ever exposure to the X-Men outside of like Iceman was on Spider-Man and his amazing friends. Yeah. Um, well, it's classic X-Men number three, which uh, was the issue immediately following Thunderbird's death where Cyclops yes. is walking in the forest. Yes. And he loses control and destroys a, a cairn, they call it, uh, that's holding back an army of demons. Yep. Or, well, just one big demon. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, and the demon attacks the mansion and... And so it's a weird X-Men story and it's a bad place to jump in. And, and in the moment, I was like, what the fuck is this? I don't like this. I remember skateboarding to the quick shop on 114th Avenue and buying that off yeah. the stand. But the backup story was great because it was Wolverine and Nightcrawler going to Harry's hideaway and Nightcrawler learning that it's OK for him to not turn on his image inducer and be himself. Yeah. Yes. Uh, so that part was great, but like the lead story, I was like, well, I don't know what this is and I do not want it. <laughs> and I didn't touch the X-Men again for years. <laughs> Cry baby. And What's I, your number three? My number three is Jason Aaron's Wolverine and the X-Men where it was after Cyclops and Wolverine had their like schism. Schism. Their schism. Yeah. And Cyclops left the school and Wolverine took over. And yeah. it's like. I have no business being a headmaster. I have no business even being a teacher. I'm the best there is at what I do. And what I do is not deal with little children. Right. Uh, and so it was Wolverine trying to keep the school alive. They renamed it the Jean Grey School. Wolverine and Dupe. Dupe was there. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Krakoa. Yeah. That's, this is where they introduced the idea that Krakoa is a mutant. Right. And so part of Krakoa was like buried in the ground in the grounds. He was a security system. Yeah. Yeah. And, he uh, was the ground. Toad was the groundskeeper. Yep. Uh, and I love that run. It was cool. They as hell. did such great stuff. Uh, that's where I was introduced to artists like Nick Bradshaw. I think got his start in that run. Yeah, I think that's right. Um, they introduced that new Hellfire Club, which was little kids, like evil little sociopaths. Yeah, they were awesome. And one of them was like the descendant of Doctor Frankenstein. Yeah. Uh, I just I love that run. And then it got swept up in crossover after crossover after crossover. AVX. And uh, regenesis and all that's not. Well, that was that was what Marvel was doing at the yeah. time. Yeah, and it just it kind of petered out after a while. Um, but yeah, I just thought it was a great, refreshing kind of return to uh, what I think is best about the X Men is that, and that is the school, the young mutants learning, the older X Men being teachers. That's what I like about the X Men. Fair enough. My number two has to go to Age of Apocalypse. Ah, I will never forget. I was at Cosmic Comics, and I was talking to the guys that owned that place years and years ago. I was firmly entrenched in the X world. Like, I had a day of the week where I just read my X-Men comics. It was a whole thing. And I was like, screw you, DC. I don't need DC comics. There's nothing as cool as the X-Men going on at the time. Things changed, obviously. Sure, yeah. But they told me, oh, by the way, they're canceling all the X-Books. And I was like, what are you talking about? The X-Books are the highest selling. This was the first time I remember... One of the big two pulling the stunt yeah. where they're saying we're canceling like the most successful thing we have, basically. Yeah. And people lost their minds, freaked out. We're like, what? <laughs> there are all these angry letters and stuff. And then all of a sudden we got the big showdown with Apocalypse. Apocalypse wins. The whole universe changes and we get the age of Apocalypse. And I will never forget that first. Oh, what it was was that. Legion 
was time traveling. Yes. And he's like, I'm going to kill Magneto before he can become Magneto right. and save mutant kind. And it's going to change everything. And, and like he his accidentally whole idea was- killed his dad. Yep. <laughs> it happens. You yeah. Know. You know. <laughs> and I remember the first page of the new Astonishing X-Men that came out. And it was like Blink was like running mm-hmm. from Sentinels and it, the world was terrifying. And she like hid in this warehouse and Sentinels showed up and they're like, too late for you, baby girl. And she was like, yeah, that sounds like Sentinels. I can't remember what they said. And then she was like, I think it was too late for you, baby girl. <laughs> at that moment, I had never been so thankful that Victor Creed was around and yeah. like Sabretooth shows guy, up Sabretooth. wearing metal gloves so he can't like hurt anybody with his claws and beats the hell out of all like the Sentinels and he's got Wild Child chained to him. Yeah. And I was like, oh man, all bets are off. I love good this guy Sabretooth. This is awesome. Love him. <laughs> and when, and later on, like years after all that was over and Judd Winnick launched uh, Exiles. Yes. And brought good guy Sabretooth onto the Exiles. Yep. I was thrilled. I love good guy Sabretooth. Me too. I Me absolutely too. love it. And I thought maybe we were going to sort of get something like that with this new X-Men thing, but doesn't look like it. No, he's kind of a villain. He's kind of a villain? Oh, well, yeah. <laughs> he's uh, a straight up villain. Well, well, because they 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 inverted him, right? Yeah. In that Axis event. Yeah, but wasn't he re-uninverted? I don't remember him being uninverted. Maybe that did happen, yeah. but they just kind of slowly. Everybody else just sort of felt better. Like yeah. they were hung over for a little bit and they were like, all right, glad that's over with. Yeah, like Iron Man was a total dick for like a year. Yeah. He became the uh, superior Iron Man, right? I don't even think it was a year. Maybe not. Yeah. Uh, and then Havoc was a villain for some reason. That was like for three weeks. Yeah. And then it's just like, you know what? I'm a good guy. It was dumb. <laughs> well, the whole inversion thing was dumb. Yeah. Access was a bad event. Yeah, it was dumb. But when they made Sabretooth a good guy, I was like, oh, maybe, yes, he'll be good guy Sabretooth and he'll join the X-Men. Well, and they did that. Like, it stuck. He was the one that remembered and, like, he was still a good guy and everybody else was like, bro, what happened? Yeah. So, and then they just, I don't know. They went back on yeah. it. Yeah. Uh, my number two goes to Joss Whedon and John Cassidy's Astonishing X-Men. Uh, Whedon, uh, back in the day, and I mean, I suppose he still is, but back then, like getting a name like Joss Whedon to come and write comics was a huge deal. He was a huge fan it, favorite. It was the biggest deal. At and the time. yeah, he was like hot off the successes of like Buffy and Angel and Firefly. Yeah. Uh, it was before he even started making the Avengers movie. Uh, and, uh, so it was 2003, right? He took over in 2003 it was kind of like a return to form, like a classic style X-Men squad. So this was like at the tail end of Morrison's new X-Men, where things were still kind of shaken up. They were still wearing their leathers and whatever, doing weird stuff. And this is like Cyclops and Wolverine in their f- in familiar looking costumes. Right. Uh, they're at the school. Kitty Pride rejoins the X-Men and you've got the Beast and Emma's there. They bring Colossus back. And it's just like, this is what I think of, this is who I think of minus Emma. When I think of the X-Men, I think of these characters. Yeah, well, it was definitely Joss Whedon grew up in that Claremont time. Yeah. And this was his yes. love letter to Claremont's X-Men. And it's got some goofy ideas in it. It got some real goofy ideas. Like uh, danger, for example. Well, I mean, danger was kind of fun. Danger is stupid. Nah. Danger is dumb. Danger is not a mutant and danger is stupid. No, danger is <laughs> not a mutant, but yeah, like it's just dumb. The it's idea dumb. That, the, that the danger room is sentient and Professor Xavier knew it and he was just kind of and it turns into a girl it. with lots of metal pieces and boobs. <laughs> like, come on. She's a girl robot. <laughs> um, but also like this alien with no nose that you've never heard of is totally going to whip the X-Men's asses. Yeah. Well. And then they're going to put Kitty in a giant space bullet and she's gone forever. Yeah. I just, okay, well, 
No, but uh, he did great character work. Yeah, the, so the great. Character the stuff was great. I love that Colossus came back, even though the way they brought him back was weird. But like him and Kitty, like rekindling their feelings and stuff. Oh, yeah, that was too much. Yeah, too much. <laughs> and like there are moments that I still think back on, like where <laughs> Wolverine gets his. For I don't remember how it happens, but Wolverine gets his personality adjusted, and he's suddenly like his little kid self, like all innocent, like before his, before his claws popped, he was like, how did that happen? I don't remember. I don't remember. He got his brain scrambled. I don't remember. Was it one of the alien things? I, I, I don't remember. It's did been introduce, a long time since I've. sword in this too, didn't we? Sword. Yeah. Abigail brain yeah, and sword. That's right. Um, but yeah, Wolverine as like this sweet little kid, like picking flowers and being sweet to everybody. And he's useless in a fight. He's a coward. And then he gets like knocked through a wall and hits the fridge and a beer can falls out of the fridge and oh, clunks yeah. him on the head. And so he's holding the beer and it's uh, the top panel. It's like he's out of focus and the beer can is in focus. Right. And then it shifts so that he's in focus. <laughs> and it's like, he's back, baby. <laughs> I just I love that sequence. Was so it something much. Emma did to him? I think it I was. I don't remember. I, I don't know how many times I can tell you. Like I don't remember. And they're like, we can't shut him down. And Emma was like, I got this. And went bam. And she's like, oh, shit. No, something I don't, like that. That doesn't sound familiar. That may have I think been a it was book. something one of the aliens did yeah, to him. I can't remember. But yeah, Astonishing X-Men. It was so great. And it really should have ended at the end of Whedon's run. We didn't need more Astonishing X-Men. No. What we got after it was bad. Yeah. Real bad. Yep. But what can, what can you do? Yeah. My number one has to go to X-Men number one yep. with a bullet. Yes. Jim Lee, Chris Claremont came out, created the single coolest four fold cover yeah. you've ever seen. And I was such a dipshit back in the day. I bought all four covers and the extended cover. Yeah, yeah. Because I had to have them all. I remember there was a huge party at my comic shop. It was Cosmic Comics again. We all got in line. Like, seriously, there's a line out the door. They had stuff in the parking lot. This was the kind of insanity that you don't, you will never see at a comic shop again. This was like right. a Comic-Con level event at every comic shop in the United States. And it was Jim Lee. That's all it was. We were all in love with Jim Lee and the way that Jim Lee drew Magneto, the way he drew Wolverine, the way he fucking drew Colossus. Oh my God. <laughs> and it, it, it's, it's more than just Jim Lee. It was, it was kind of a refocusing of the X-Men idea yeah. where Claremont came together. Uh, I think John Byrne wrote uh, uncanny at the time. Yeah. And we got the blue and the gold. Yes. Uh, and the funny thing is, is that it was the, it was, it ended up being the end of Claremont's 17 year run on the X-Men. Mm -hmm. Um, and like he would have stayed, but there were reasons there was reasons that he he quit. But it, it brought together most of the X-Men you'd ever heard of. Yeah. As one huge group split into two teams. Well, and they, the blue team was in X-Men. The best of like Claremont's old team on one side and sort of the originals. The new sexy X-Folks sort of on, sprinkled in on the other side. So, yeah, uh, the blue team was like Wolverine, Cyclops, Gambit, Rogue, Beast. Right. Beast? Yes. Uh, and then the gold team was Jean Grey, Bishop, Storm, those guys. Iceman. Uh, Archangel. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, it's there were just two great teams. Uh, oh, yeah. I loved both of those books. And it was must read. And you had to read it. X-Men 1 was my return to the X-Men after years because I had heard about the hype and I was like, I have to check it out. And I got it. And it just blew me away. And I'm like, oh, this is the X-Men. Yeah. This is why people love the X-Men. Yep. 
and I was hooked. I had it all. I had a softball game. Yeah, Magneto attacking. So X Men fan for it life. It was all there. That. Oh. <laughs> X Men. Uh, so I read an article uh, yesterday. Comic book sales data prior to like Diamond taking over the industry is hazy at best. Sure. Uh, especially the stuff of cave drawings. Yeah. And whispers. Especially, especially back in the gold and silver ages, people just didn't keep track of that shit. Yeah. Um, so, but as far as the data we have that we can track, uh, X-Men number one remains the highest selling comic book of all time at over 8 million copies. Yeah. I don't find that hard to believe at all. The number two number, a close second. And it's not even close. Death is like, Superman? uh, star Wars one. Jason Aaron's Star Wars 1, which sold over a million. That sold more than Death of Superman? Mm-hmm. You gotta be kidding me. Nope. Well, there's no way. There's no way. Because back in the day, I'm sure Death of Superman at least broke 2 million. It was massive. So a little Googling reveals that there's no good history on this whatsoever. But the Death yeah, of Superman I mean, is definitely death, high. Death of Superman, yeah, Death of Superman, we just found out, uh, according to Wikipedia, sold over 6 million, which still doesn't touch X-Men 1. Yeah. There you go. Our top five X relaunches of all time. We both had to make the little dissertation about comic book sales. Well, you know, I mean, it was the whole thing. <laughs> it, it just did. I think it speaks to where the industry was at the time. Why X-Men number one was so important. Why it's still important today. Yeah. Like I still will always treasure that. issue. I will always. too. And say what you will about the nineties, but there was still some pretty dang good comics in the nineties. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Excelsior. Oh, <laughs> That is it for THN 539 and 540 will probably accidentally kill us when its X-Gene activates. Oh, no. Joe, before we are reduced to dripping gore on the ziggurat walls, why don't you ask these nerds a new question of the week? It's going to be like that kid in Alaska. Murdered everybody. (laughs) This week's question was submitted by me via my brain. What is the most inaccurately named comic book? For example. What do you mean? For example, Superman Year One actually takes place over the span of several years. Oh. Final Crisis was definitely not the final crisis the DC Universe ever faced. It's for fun. Okay. All right. What's your What's your favorite inaccurately named? I already got mine. All right. Mine's super easy, and you've heard me yell about it a million. I'm sure I have. Hey, listen. By the way, we need question of the week submissions. You guys have sent some in, and I appreciate it. But we we do this every week, babies. Questions. We need more. The week. Questions of the week. Not question of the weeks. Question of the week. Questions of the week. Question of the week. Like surgeons general. Question of the week. (laughs) Get out of here. If you're new to this show and you've decided to give up comic book podcasts altogether, instead of giving us another listen, I assure you, it's only because you have not heard enough of it. The good news is you can hear the entire run of THN in our digital long box archive at TwoHeadedNerd.com. But hosting that many shows, it ain't cheap, baby. So we want to thank donors like our brand new patron. Didn't we already thank Tim there? I think we talked about it, but I don't think we mentioned him on the show. Oh. Tim Mayer. Tim Mayer. Spoiler, it's Tim Mayer. <laughs> <laughs> Tim Tim was one of our uh, PayPal holdouts. Oh, that's right. He's made the switch. He was mashing the button once a month. He was mashing the button, baby. We appreciate it. Before we go, our weekly shout-out goes to our dear friend, an occasional love slave, stately Lord Fungus. The dude went through some shit last week. Yeah. Had a hospital visit. Jesus. A little bit of a medical scare. Man. I hear he's on the mend. I hope that's true. 
word you, uh, Staley? We're gunning for you? Not gunning for you. That's the wrong thing. We're gunning at you. We're thinking of you. We're gunning your way. We're pulling for you. <laughs> We're rooting for you. We're pulling on you. You're on our shit list, buddy. <laughs> We feel, hope you're okay. Yeah, we're feel better, to say. pal. We and love we you. love you. <laughs> Until next week, true believers. Remember to pre-order your comics. Your retailer might just translate them all into British. This oh, is the two-headed nerd signing off. What a sticky wicket. The joke is, British is still English. English I get it. Yeah. You know, yeah, yeah. We just have trouble understanding it. I get it. If you explain the joke, it's not funny. <laughs>